0: Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. I hope you're well. Got a little little extra something for you in the feed this week. Um, I've written another book. If you have been following the show for a while, you might recall that over the past couple of years, I put out a thing called Dad on Pills, and I put out The Lonely Dad Conversations, and now it's the third part of that trilogy. It's called Dad at Peace, and this one is about growing up and kind of giving up. And you all have heard it on the show as I've I've had to figure out what it means to take some swings and misses, to reprioritize, to stop being addicted to walking on the tightrope of career and, and embrace this idea that my family brings me a sense of zen and in particular my kiddo brings me a sense of zen. You've all heard it. You've all heard it unfold week by week as I've helped sort it out in my head. Now, I do also want to say this uh, Dad at Peace book should have special appeal to beautiful anonymous listeners. A lot of people realized last year we went independent and it seemed kind of sudden and I had started talking on the show about how I wasn't sure what the future was going to be. And then all of a sudden it was like, Hey, we're an independent show and we've had a five-year contract, but those things don't happen overnight. And I think a lot of people picked up on the fact that it was more stressful than I was letting on. And there were more moving parts. And I'm happy to tell you that, yes, there were more moving parts. Some of those moving parts were actually quite funny and, and in a way. And I spill more tea about that process in this book than I have anywhere else publicly, because a lot of this book is about the fragility of career and how when you stake your well-being and your self-esteem on your career, that those things are unstable. And Beautiful Anonymous was certainly unstable. So while I don't think you'll catch me talking smack about people, I think you will be able to see a lot more of the moving parts of what went down with the whole Beautiful Anonymous saga last year in this book than you will anywhere else. So happy to tell you I read the audiobook as well. You are able to go get it right now. This the service is now called Everand. Um it used to be called Scribd. They've switched their name to Everand E V E R A N D dot com. Go look up my name. You'll see all the books on there. You can sign up for a 30-day free trial right now, or if you go and look on my Twitter, I've been tweeting out the link for a 60-day free trial, but you'll actually get all three of the books I wrote there and a ton of other great stuff that they have in the program. It's legit. And go check it out. Thanks so much. Leave a review if you like it. It'll really help. I think this one will tug at your heartstrings, and I think I have often said that one of the aspects of Beautiful Anonymous is that you can kind of listen to a fan base realizing the host is growing up before he realizes that he's growing up. There's a part of the narrative of this show that has always been that. And I will say this is a book that looks at me growing up in a way that's more realistic than anything else I've ever done before. So anyway, enjoy this chunk of the audiobook. Go check it out, everand.com. Dad at Peace is the name of the book. I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Enjoy. Not far from my house is a hill. At the bottom of that hill is a field. In that field, there are some rocks my son likes to climb on. He pretends to be animals. Billy goats, mountain lions, and others that he has learned are rock dwellers, plus others that reflect his creativity. Purple tigers and baby gorillas and whatever else strikes his fancy in the moment. He explores in a little loop across the rocks, over to the stairs on the side of the hill, up the stairs to the gravel parking lot, then down the little path on the far side of the hill, and back to the beginning of the rocks. He loves teaching me how to do this. Daddy, come on. You can climb on the rocks, too. I can show you. I do as he says. I follow his lead. I walk on the rocks, the tallest of which is maybe two feet high. I climb the stairs, then skitter down the side of the hill, back to the rocks. I pretend to be a zebra if he asks me what animal I am. Now what color, daddy? What color, zebra? I'm a yellow zebra cow. I pause and wait when he tells me the billy goat is tired. He lies down and curls up in the fetal position on top of the largest rock. Sometimes I lie down too on those uncomfortable rocks, knowing it's the only thing that will get him back up and moving. In the story in his head, it is nap time for the animals and we must sleep before we go, so I do it. There are houses at the top of the hill. From their front windows, I'm fairly certain one could see these rocks. I'm curious what my neighbors might think if they saw us walking in this loop, pretending to sleep on rocks. It's not a play area. It's not built for fun. It's a gravel parking lot, some wood chips on a hill and some rocks. I wonder what they think, but I don't particularly care. It is heartbreaking when kids catch you getting bored with their games. There's no way to explain that while I find so much joy in seeing Cal pretend to be a pink tiger sleeping on a rock, it's not necessarily the most thrilling game for me. My shelf life for this is shorter than his. I've seen movies and stuff. I've been to concerts. I've had fun. He can get lost in the world of these rocks and in the world of his brain forever. I sometimes crap out. On occasion, I am in my head worried about work and marriage and mortgage and all the things grown ups have to worry about that he can't even fathom yet. On one of those occasions, he caught me slackin'. I hadn't slept much that week due to the pace of my life and his habit of waking me up. I'd also moved something in our garage, and his old changing table fell off its perch and onto the top of my foot. I was tired, I was limping, and I wasn't keeping up as well as I usually do. He bounded across a few of the rocks, then looked back at me. Come on, Daddy, he said. You can do it. He proceeded forward, but looked backward, moving forward toward adventure, looking backward, anchored to his dad. That's kind of the sum total of being a child, in a way. Cal, I told him, you have to watch which way you're going. Don't look back at me while you're walking. You'll slip and fall. But I have to look out for you, Daddy, he said to me. My eyes widened, and he stopped walking. I have to look out for you. I knelt down on my rock, getting closer to his eye level. Buddy, I told him. I promise, you don't have to look out for me. I have to look out for you. That's my job. It's not your job to look out for your dad. It's your dad's job to look out for you. Why do you have to look out for me, he asked. Well, I'm big, I told him, and you're small. So I look out for you. Yeah, he told me. But you're old, and I'm young. I have to look out for you. In the days after that conversation, I relayed it to adult friends as a joke. Check out what my kids said. I'd tell other dads I ran into with a smirk. He called me old, to my face. We all got a chuckle out of it. I'm a good storyteller, so I knew how to make what he said land as a punchline. I stopped making that joke after a few days. It didn't feel right. I have replayed that moment with him over and over in my head many times. It's not a joke to me. It wasn't a joke when he said it. If it becomes a joke, it's my fault and to my detriment. I have to look out for you. I am young and you are old. I have to look out for you. That is no joke. That is the least alone I have ever felt. He's now a four-year-old boy. He's seen and done nothing. He doesn't know how awful the world can be. He hasn't picked up on racism yet, or what the Holocaust was, or the fact that there are people in this world right now going hungry. He hasn't yet come home from a field trip to New York City and cried because he realized there are people without homes. He hasn't sat through news footage of wars, or fires, or planes flying into buildings. He was too young to perceive what the COVID-19 pandemic really was. His worldview is unsullied. That will change someday. He will get bullied. He will feel anger at the world. He will perceive injustices and will rightfully lay the blame at the feet of my generation for not correcting them. He'll wonder why we threw so much plastic in the ocean. He'll find out people used to have more rights and that governments take those rights away. He will listen to music that fuels rebellion in his soul. He'll rage in all the ways young people do, vitally, righteously, beautifully. He will be foolish enough to think he might change all the bad things in the world, and who knows, maybe he will. Someone always has to, and sometimes someone actually does. But for now, his tanks aren't full of the fuel that powers young people into their battles. For now, his biggest concern is that his dad is moving slowly across those rocks. For now, he just needs to make sure that his father doesn't fall. He needs to look out for me because I am old and he is young. And all I have to do is let him. I have never felt love so unconditional. I have never known how to accept such love before. I have never known how to not deflect such profound and immense emotions. When feelings are that intense, I turn them into jokes. But this is not a joke. It can't be. How could you ever be so foolish to bat away something as simple and pure as the love your own kid has for you? For this person, I can stop chasing my own dreams. Dreams used to fuel me. I'm an artist. Dreams are what allow you to perpetuate the endless chase. I no longer need a dream to keep going. I'm enjoying this reality too much. My dreams can wait, or they can go away forever.